Westables, good morning. It is good to have you here. I am excited to have up here Santa next to me, somebody who has been a friend and like a brother for years. And he's also one of our elders here at the church, Brian Burns. And you are going to get to hear from Brian this morning. Um, I, was it a month ago, two months ago? I went to Brian and I just said, look, um, I would love for the church to hear from you because I think the church should hear um, from one of our elders and I would love to even get a break on a Sunday. <laughs> and so I said to him, would you, would you be up for preaching April 7th? And just to show you how seriously he has taken this task, here was his face. I'll do whatever you need me to do. <laughs> and so he has very prayerful prayerfully approached this. And so would you welcome Brian Burns up here? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, yes, my name is Brian. I have been going to this church for a really long time. As a matter of fact, my wife Courtney and I uh, went through the high school group, met each other in the youth group here at West Bulls, and then later got married. And now two of our kids are in the high school group here at West Bulls now. So uh, it's been kind of a crazy thing. I don't think they have the same possibility of finding someone to marry because it feels like half the youth group are their cousins. So <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work. Uh, so anyways, um, thank you for having me. I'm going to go ahead and start in a word of prayer. Dearly Father, we just pray that uh, I can get out of the way here right now and that your words are spoken, Lord, that you open our ears, our hearts to whatever message that you want, Lord. Thank you so much for this opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the day that I turned 16, I got my license. I remember showing up to school that day, and I was flashing that license to anybody that would look my way. I w it was a pretty big deal because I was one of the oldest kids in my class. So it was like the first month of my sophomore year, and I had my license. As a matter of fact, I none of my friends had their license, and so I was pretty proud of the fact that I had it. And so I got there, and I was very intentional about getting to school that day in time for the class right before lunch, which happened to be math class. And it's not because I liked math, because I didn't. It was because I was seated next to another kid who was a senior, and I'd become friends with him in this class. And he had something that I really wanted, a car. See, I had my license, but I didn't have a car. And that's kind of like having a swimsuit and no pool, or like a kite but no wind. And so having a license without, without a car is pretty worthless, except for I was pretty proud of the fact that I did it. So I walked into class that day, I sat next to him, and I said, you know, got my license today, you know, and he's like, oh, cool, good job, you know, and I said, yeah, it's pretty hard. He said, I got it in the first try, and he's like, great, and I said, yeah, I just wish I could go to lunch, you know, I said, I don't have a car, I said, but it'd be really cool if I could go to lunch, I said, it's my birthday, my, you know, birthday lunch. And he knew what I was going, and he's like, there is no way I'm letting you use my car. And I said, come on, let me borrow it, it's no big deal, I'm a really good driver, first try. And, you know, he's like, there's no way, and true enough, he did not let me borrow his car that day. But what he didn't expect was how persistent I would be. And so every day I would get into that class and sit next to him, and I'd start in, let me borrow your car. I'm just going to run over to lunch, it's no big deal. I even had people in the class that were, like, trying to convince him, too, like, yeah, let him use your car. And so it took four days. Four days of convincing, and he handed me his keys. He's like, fine, here are my keys. Now, you better bring it back right after lunch, and this is a one-time deal. And I said, absolutely, no problem. I said, 
no big deal. So I took his keys, walked out of the class, went straight to the sophomore hall where everybody was putting away their stuff, getting ready for lunch, and I began to swing those keys around my finger. <laughs> and I made the announcement to everybody that would listen, I'm going to drive to lunch. Who wants to go with me? And it was like the Pied Piper leading the mice, the crowd of kids that followed me, all wanting to go to lunch with me. And so I settled in on three cheerleaders who had rarely talked to me before or after that day <laughs> and two of my friends. And the six of us jammed into a brand new 1990 Hyundai Excel. And if you remember that car, that's like good for two people. But the six of us jammed in there and we headed off to Southwest Plaza for some lunch. And everything went great. I got back to the school and I actually got into the left-hand turn lane when I got in front of Columbine High School. And I was in a park out there by the park because there was never parking close to the school. And so I'd already made my plan. I'm going to park out there. I'm going to run the keys in and I'm going to um, you know, start planning the next trip out for lunch when I can borrow his car. And so as I was sitting in the left-hand turn lane, I look over to my right and right in front of the school, there's a parking spot. It was like a, a ray of sunlight had hit it, you know? It's like just there. And I'm sitting there in this car with the windows down and the music's jamming. I've got three cheerleaders in the car and I'm thinking the world belongs to me and if not the world, that parking spot does. And so without thinking, without hesitation, I jammed on the gas, went through the intersection, heading towards that parking spot and as you may have guessed, I didn't make it. I rammed into another car. <sighs> And I remember, to this day, sitting there, waiting for the police to come in total shock. And one by one, the passengers of my car left and went back to school until I was all alone. And it turns out the car that I hit was another student. It was a senior that I wasn't friends with. And, uh, and, and as the police came, I, how it all ended out was I had to pay for both cars to be uh, fixed. I got a careless driving ticket, my license got put on probation, and as an added bonus, because it happened right in front of the school and I'd hit another student, the entire school found out about this. And for the next year, my name got changed from Brian Burns to Crash and Burns. That's what everybody in the hallway called me, Crash and Burns, for the entire year. Well, as I was preparing for the sermon today, and as Nathan asked me to do this, as I was reading through, the story of Crash and Burns kept coming to my mind over and over again. We're going to look at chapter, uh, John chapter 6, and the chapter opens with crowds and crowds of people following Jesus everywhere he goes. And actually, there's a story in this chapter. It's uh, when Jesus sees this crowd of thousands of people coming towards him, he decides that he wants to feed them, but they don't have anything to feed them. And it's a story you probably are all uh, familiar with. It's the, it's the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. When Jesus fed over 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves of bread. And there was no one more popular than Jesus in that moment when he did that miracle. It actually made me think about that day walking down the hallway, flipping those, those keys around my finger. Everybody wanted to be near Jesus at that point. But out of those thousands and thousands of people that were following Jesus, by the end of this chapter, only 12 remain. 12 out of thousands. What happened? No, Jesus didn't get into a car accident. But what happened was that the people that were following him that day, they decided that he wasn't the king that they thought. 
More than that, he wasn't the king that they wanted. And in order to follow Jesus, those people had to come to the same realization that all of us do here today. And it's a hard realization. It's something that sometimes is really hard to accept. And that is that Jesus promises to be all that we need, not all that we want. Jesus promises to be all that we need, but not all that we want. And the people that day, they couldn't understand that truth. They were distracted. They were facing a bunch of distractions, and it caused them to not understand that, and they could not see Jesus as the king that he is. They were not able to recognize the authority that Jesus could have in their lives. And that's a hard thing because we're going to look at a few of those distractions here today because they're the same distractions that can plague us, that can keep us from recognizing Jesus as the authority in our lives, as recognizing Jesus as the king that he is because we're mixed up with the things that we thought he should be. The first distraction we're going to talk about are the things that we're facing, things that we face distract us. And if we, as we turn into Scripture here, we're going to go to John 6, and we're going to start in verse 5. And this is right before the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. It says, Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, which is one of his disciples, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. So here we see Jesus' disciples are having a hard time getting past what they're facing, and it distracts them to the point that they question Jesus' power. As a matter of fact, they're not really even looking at Jesus. They're only looking at the crowd coming towards them. Philip, in this case, sees this giant crowd of thousands and thousands of people, and he hears Jesus ask about how we're going to feed him. He's like, that's not possible. Jesus, there's no way we can feed this many people. Look at the crowd coming our way. And I think about us. And I wonder how often it is that our problems seem so big that we can't even see Jesus through them. I think back to being a 16-year-old after a car crash on that day, faced with the proposition of having to call my mom and tell her that I had borrowed someone's car, that I had gotten a wreck, it was my fault, I'd gotten a ticket, the police are here, and it was within the first week I had my license. The problem seemed way too big. My mind couldn't go anywhere but on that problem. What is it for you? It's probably not a wrecked car, but I bet it's something, or it has been something. What problems are you facing that are causing you only to see the problem itself? Maybe it's a diagnosis that you just received of an illness, and your mind is only on that. It's hard to think about anything else because it seems insurmountable. Maybe it's a financial problem. Maybe you lost your job, or maybe it is just you've got all this debt, this credit card debt, and it, you feel squeezed on every side. And you wake up in the morning thinking about that debt, and your mind can't go anywhere else. Is it that your marriage is at such a low point right now? You can't imagine it turning around. And you don't want to bring it to Jesus because you think this isn't even possible to be fixed. And so we step away. There's plenty of things that we are facing. These are all big problems that we face or have faced or can face. 
and they become so big that we get distracted by it and we can't even look to Jesus, just like Philip. As we continue on in verse 8, it says, Then Andrew, which is another disciple, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that with this huge crowd? See, for Andrew, I don't think it was as much the crowd that he was facing as it was the limited resources that they had. It could have been 10 people walking towards him, and he probably would have had the same reaction. He's like, we don't even have enough food for ourselves, Jesus. We have two fish and five loaves of bread. How are we going to eat? We can't feed anybody else. And again, I think that's something that happens in our lives. How often are we being presented with an opportunity or God places something on our hearts and we say no because we don't think we have the resources. We don't have the, don't have the time. We don't have the money. We don't have the talent. Jesus, find someone else. That's what the disciples were saying that day. Find someone else to feed them, not us. As a matter of fact, when Nathan asked me to preach, he, uh, you know, he just demonstrated what my reaction was. That blank stare he's talking about, when he asked me what was going through my mind was, oh, no, don't ask me, Nathan. I don't have the time to do this. I definitely don't have the talent to do this. Get someone else that knows what they're doing up here. And all that came out of my mouth was, I'll do whatever you need me to do, Nathan. And I wanted to slap myself when I said it. I was like, no, 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 that's not what we're supposed to say here. The answer is no. And if I'm truthful, there's been plenty of times in my life where my answer was no. Where God did put something before me and I didn't do it because I didn't feel like I had the resources to do it. And I think that's true with all of us. See, we can become so consumed by what we're facing, either because it's so big that we can't keep our eyes off of that problem or we focus in on how limited resources we have and we end up missing out on the miracle. We can be distracted by what we're facing. But it isn't just what we're facing. We also are distracted by what we are expecting. Our expectations can distract us. As we continue on in Scripture, we go on to, chap uh, to uh, chapter 6, verse 14. And this is after Jesus does the miracle. This is after the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, and we see the people's reaction to it. It says in verse 14, When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, Surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. When Jesus saw they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. Now, earlier in this chapter, we didn't read this, but in verse 4, John gives us an interesting note. It's, he's the only author that includes this information amongst all the other uh, Gospels where they mention the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. He mentions in it that it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. It's just in parentheses. And the reason it's an interesting note is because it tells us that Jesus chose to do this miracle for a reason. There was a purpose behind why he chose to do this miracle. See, the Jewish Passover was also referred to as the Festival of Unleavened Bread. And all the people that were there that day, they would have known this. This was common knowledge among them. So the fact that Jesus decided to miraculously feed people, thousands of people, bread during the Festival of Unleavened Bread couldn't have been missed. He was pointing out to them, he was trying to give them a spiritual truth that he is the bread that they are so hungry for. He was trying to relate it to something that they would understand. 
But the people missed the spiritual lesson. They only saw the physical blessing, and they loved it. They thought this was great. This is what they were hoping for. It actually says this is the kind of king they were expecting. And so they tried to make him king forcibly. And it says Jesus gets away because he knew their hearts. He knew that they had become distracted by their expectations of what the king should look like. That they were consumed with the physical blessing, the actual miracle itself, and they missed the point. And so he got away. And I know this happens to all of us all the time. As a matter of fact, there was an article in Christianity Today back in December, and uh, this article goes on to talk about how there's this spike in depression among Christians who have joined the prosperity gospel, who have come to Christianity because of the prosperity gospel or the health and wealth movement. That's the movement that kind of teaches that God wants his followers to be um, prosperous and healthy. And so there's been lots of people that are coming to Christianity with the expectation that they're going to be prosperous or remain prosperous or that they're going to become healthy or remain healthy. And when it doesn't happen, they're left feeling lost and depressed and their faith is shattered and they walk away. It sounds very similar to the story in John 6. That's becoming consumed with the miracle itself, with the physical blessings, our expectations of what we're going to get out of being Christians and missing the point, just like those people that day. And I would love to tell you that it's just people that follow the prosperity gospel, but it's not. I know in my life there's been times when someone I've loved or something happened to me, and it's something that I just can't get. And I'm like, why is this happening? And I maybe stopped short of saying it, but there's part of me that says, this isn't what I expected. That's letting my expectations define who Jesus is, make me question who Jesus is, and not seeing him as the king that he really is, that he has a different perspective than me, and missing the point. But it isn't just what we're facing, and it isn't just what we're expecting, but it's also what we're wanting. Our wants and our desires can distract us. As we turn back to Scripture here, this is, uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 26, and this is after Jesus obviously fed, the, did the miracle defeating the 5,000, and the people got excited, they tried to make him king, and he slips away, and it tells us uh, in Scripture that, that um, Jesus sends his disciples on ahead of him as he spends time alone with God. He sends his disciples on in a boat across the lake, and then later that night, Jesus walks across the water to the other side, to the other shore, to meet up with his disciples. And it says that the next day, when the masses realize that Jesus is gone, they go searching for him. They want to find Jesus, and they find him. And they have the hope and the expectation, the desire that he's going to provide another miracle, maybe feed them again. But this is Jesus' reply in, in verse 26. It says, I tell you the truth, you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. He knew they missed the point, so he's trying to give them a little truth to it. And you know what their response is? They said, you want us to listen to you? Give us a miracle. And they reference the fact that Moses 
gave uh, the Israelites a miracle of bread in the desert, which is so ironic because the day before, Jesus had miraculously given them bread, but they couldn't see it. They couldn't see it. And it was at that point here when I was reading this, it dawned on me something that Jesus knew all along, and that's that there was no miracle that would have been good enough for these people. There was no miracle that would have fulfilled everything they were looking for, and that's because the nature of our wants are that they're never satisfied. Our desires are never quenched. I want you to think about for a moment, what is something that you want right now? Like, think about what's on your Amazon wish list or just something that's in your mind all the time. We all seem to want something. My son Riley, he wants a new car. He wants a Mustang. He didn't learn anything from Crash and Burns. He's going to be the next Crash and Burns over there. (laughs) Me, I have in my mind, I'd like to get like this built-in barbecue in the backyard. You know, I'm thinking that would, that'd be pretty cool. Have this built-in barbecue. Now, I want you to think about whatever it is that you want, if you got that thing, would all your wants go away at that point? We know it wouldn't because I wanted something different a month ago. And if you get something you want, the nature of our wants are we just want something else. It doesn't fulfill us. It doesn't last forever. And that's why Jesus doesn't promise to be all that we want. He knows better than our wants. He knows what we need, but it doesn't make it any easier for us. And Jesus knows that that's what's going on here. And so we continue on in Scripture. In verse 32, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you the bread, in the, uh, the bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus is telling them, I'm not going to do another miracle right now. You missed the point of what I was trying to do. I'll try to give you truth to what I already have done, but I'm not giving you another miracle. But the people responded much the same way we probably would. It said, then the people began to murmur in disagreement because he had said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father and mother. How can he say I came down from heaven? So now they realize they're not going to get another miracle. And so they're thinking of another reason why they don't want to believe. Now they don't want to believe because they know who his mom and dad are and they know where he's from. Which is strange because the day before they knew where he came from and they knew his parents and they wanted to make him king. But that's because he was doing what they wanted. Now that they're not getting what they want, they're thinking of a reason why they don't want to believe. And so now it's resting on the fact that they know who his parents are. Jesus continues on. He says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever, and this bread which I will offer the world so they live is my flesh. Then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked. So Jesus, knowing that they're just not going to accept this, they're not going to listen to him, he tries to give them a deeper truth that maybe at some other point they might be able to reflect back on. He's telling all of them, and he's telling us here today, that he was sent to give his life, his very flesh, so that we can live. 
And while he's giving this really incredible, important spiritual truth, the people don't want to listen, so they start playing word games. They take his words too literally. Has that ever happened to you where you're, you're given instructions and someone takes your words too literal? If you don't know what I mean, I'm going to give you some examples. Uh, Georgia, go ahead and put up the first picture here. All right, this picture is when a delivery driver was given the general instructions that he's to leave all packages on the front porch under the mat. <laughs> Do you think he's trying to make a point here? Sure, he listened to the words, but he took it a little literal. All right, go ahead and come up with the next one. As a parent, I think we can all identify this with, with this one. This kid got in trouble, and his mom said, you are not to go outside. You're not to put a foot out that door. <laughs> yeah, he's an obedient kid. He's got it. All right, and this last one is more ignorance-based, but it's still funny. So this is when a barista asked for a customer's name, and the gentleman replied. He said, my name is Mark with a C. <laughs> Who wouldn't write Kark, right? And we laugh about these things, but that's what these people were doing to Jesus on that day. They were taking his words too literally. The fact of the matter is, they didn't want to listen. They were distracted by Jesus' words because they wanted something different. They didn't want a king that was going to be a sacrifice. They wanted a king that was going to give them power, that was going to get all their needs and all their desires fulfilled, a king that was going to be politically dominant now. And when they realized they weren't going to get it, they walked away. They left. But not just the masses, even some of those closest to Jesus. It says in verse 66, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, Are you also going to leave? From thousands to twelve. Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. And I love that scripture and those, that statement from Peter because we know how imperfect Peter is. We know how imperfect all the disciples are. And yet, he comes up with this statement. These guys weren't impervious to the distractions we're talking about today. We know the disciples were distracted by things that they faced. We talked about one today when the big crowd came. They didn't think that Jesus could do that. They didn't think it could feed them. They questioned his power because of the situation they faced. They were distracted by what they expected. We'll talk about in a couple weeks on Monday, Thursday. What happened when Jesus was arrested? The disciples all scattered because they did not expect Jesus to be a king that was going to be arrested and crucified, no matter how many times he told them. They didn't expect it, and it caused them to fall away. And they had wants and desires that distracted them. There's a story in the Bible about a time when all the disciples... Uh, they were arguing amongst, them, amongst themselves about which one of them is the greatest. There's another story where they argue about who was going to get to sit next to Jesus up in heaven. They had wants and desires that distracted them. See, they all struggled just as we all struggle. But that statement right there, it shows us that their faith was able to carry them through their distractions and still see Jesus as the king that he is. 
our faith can carry us through our distractions and help us see Jesus as the king he is. Have you ever stopped and listened to a conversation between three-year-olds? Our youngest son, last summer, our youngest son was three. Yes, we have a three-year-old and a 16-year-old. But our youngest was three last summer, and we brought him to the neighborhood pool. And while we were there, he ended up playing, or he found another little boy that was three three years old, and they got to play with one another. They swam together. And as we were walking back to our houses... I I just walked right behind the two boys, my son, Ezekiel, and this other little boy. And I just walked behind them and listened to their conversation. And this little boy said to my son, he said, you should come over to my house sometime because I have a jump castle in my backyard. It's really fun to jump on. He's like, it's got a hole in it right now. And then Ezekiel interrupted. He's like, well, my dad can fix it. (laughs) And the little boy said, no, 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 my dad can fix it. My dad will fix it. And they continued talking for a minute. And then Ezekiel said to this little boy, well, you should come over to my house sometime because I got a bunch of toys we can play with. He's like, I have two Lightning McQueen cars that we can play. One of them was broken, but my dad fixed it so we both could have one. And the little other little boy, not to be, undone, uh, you know, not to be topped, said, well, you know, you should come to my house because I have a dog. And my dog is really cool. He's fun to play with. And he's like, he's sick right now and he's just laying around all the time. But don't worry, my dad will fix it. And I thought, you see, they believe wholeheartedly that their dads can fix anything. doesn't matter what it is. And three-year-olds live with complete and total faith and reliance on their parents. There's no situation that they face that will distract them from that fact. As a matter of fact, no situation they face is too big. Their dads can fix anything. They're not distracted by their expectations. Even when they don't get something that they expect, they bounce back really quickly. Sure, they have temper tantrums. It gets ugly sometimes. But by the next day, it's forgotten. And three-year-olds continue to love and trust their parents with all their heart, even when they don't get what they want. They're not distracted by their wants. Well, Jesus, our Father, Our dad promises to be all that we need, not all that we want. And that's good. That's a good thing because he knows better. And if we can have that total reliance and faith, doesn't mean we're not going to stumble, doesn't mean we're not going to get distracted, but if we can have that total faith and reliance that Jesus is the king above all kings, that he is the king of our life, that he's greater than anything else than no matter what we face and no matter what we expect and no matter what we want or desire, we can respond with the words of a three-year-old. Don't worry, my dad can fix that. So I'm going to invite right now the worship team to come back up and I'm going to close this out in prayer uh, and then they're going to sing one more song. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this, uh, this day. We thank you for being our dad, a dad that is much greater than anything we can imagine. And we know we're going to be sidetracked from time to time by things that we face and things that we expect and things that we want because we're human. And you know that, just like your followers, your disciples in that day. But we pray that you give us a faith that can overcome it. Give us a faith, give us the perspective to know that you are so much greater than anything we can face. 
that you're so much greater than any kind of expectation that we might have, and that we're so limited that our wants are physically based, but that you are much greater than our physical needs. You provide for us physically, but you also provide for us spiritually. You have an eternal perspective on our lives, and we just pray that we can have that as well. Fill us full of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Give us your knowledge. Give us your wisdom. We thank you for being the king that you were, not the king that we thought. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.